John Clayton. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. Streaming live at 710sports.com. On demand everywhere on the 710 Seattle Sports app. Now, John Clayton. Well, the rain has come. I guess you could say it's now officially fall because it starts to feel like that fall here in the Seattle area with the rain and everything else. And we'll see how many days that's going to continue. But nevertheless, uh, we do have the rain. But we also have a treat. Because we haven't heard this voice in a while, and I guess mainly because at the station there's usually only one person allowed in studio each time. But joining us now to help us out is Boy Howdy. Boy Howdy, how you been and where you been? What have you been doing? Mr. Professor Clayton, I'm so excited to see you. Well, I can't really see no, you, you but I'm so excited to hear you. Uh, it's been forever since we've gotten to do this. I mean, I've been missing bothering you with questions and uh, made-up stories that I used to do on Friday. So this is a real treat for me, John. I oh, know. It's great. It's a game because the, the deal was that uh, just about everybody had to work from home. I know. Which, of course, you were doing. I've been sitting in my garage next to a space here for the last five months just trying to stay sane in a windowless room. It's actually not that different from being here, to be honest. Uh-huh. So that's going to be good. So we'll get into so many different things. And, of course, let's get into the five biggest stories of the day. Number one. I'm just asking for your first reaction. A legend in Gail Sayers, dead at the age of 77. You know, you keep speaking about people who were old enough to see him play. And my father was. And it was my father's favorite running back. And and Brian's song was a movie that uh, my dad got me to watch on VHS. He was played um, by Billy Dee Williams. and, and And I just remember... You know, watching that movie and seeing that relationships and seeing the old black and white film, he was kind of the first Christian McCaffrey. He was the first Alvin Kamala. He was the guy that returned kicks and, and did other things. And so uh, he was an amazing part of our history of this league, uh, an amazing part of our history uh, as, as black as black men and as black players. And so it's, it's truly uh, a sad day, but a day that we get an opportunity to remember a legend and speak about a man who was one of the greatest running backs to play this game, even if it was only for a very short time, and, and, and give him and give him his just due, give him his flowers, give him his shine. Uh, and, and, and I know there are many people in his family that will miss him, but for me, a guy whose father, you know, idolized uh, Gail shares, it, it, it really hits home. And you know, so prayers to his family, prayers to his loved ones, and all those fans in Chicago. Uh, who, who who grew up or who knew about how much Gail Sayers went to that organization. Yeah, and of course, the the one thing is, is, unfortunately, his career ended so early at the age, age of 26 with the bad knees. But uh, And a lot of times, I know as a Hall of Fame voter, you say, okay, the career's too short, we can't judge it. But all you had to do was watch this guy run, whether it was going to be on returns, whether it was going to be uh, on the field. I mean, he was an absolute superstar, one of the greatest running backs we've ever seen in this game. And so... Uh, we we didn't get to see enough of him, but we saw enough to know this guy was absolutely great. So he passes away at the age of 77. Unfortunately, uh, late in his life, has not been able to do too well because he does he had the you know the uh, 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 dementia and really couldn't really function as well as you'd like to have. But that was of course Ryan Clark talking on Get Up about Gail Sears. But he was also one of the greatest, and you know. It's interesting because you know Jim Brown was my favorite football player of all time, the former Cleveland Browns running back. You know, and then you had such you know great running back and Barry Sanders who you know retired earlier than he should because he could have played several more.
more years, but elected not to. But he was great. But then overall, I think that Gail Sears has to go down as one of the all-time greats. And again, it was, what was robbing us and robbing him was that knee problem that he had, and uh, it ended. But of course, nobody was going to keep him out of the Hall of Fame. He earned it. Your eyes told you that he should be in. He's in, and it's also on all our memories. If you go back as far as I do, and it's so fortunate. So Gail Sears, unfortunately, passing away at the age of 77. Number two. Now the 1-1 one, one on the way, swinging a line, drive, diving, catch it, short, J.P. Crawford. Way to his right, into the air, robbing Alex Bregman of a base hit. What a play by Crawford, off with a crack of the bat, way to his right. He lands face down on the turf in shallow left field. What a play by J.P. Crawford. So, J.P. Crawford, uh, it looks like he's going to be a real good fielder. Could be down the line a future gold glove player. Made an incredible play on Alex Bregman. But, unfortunately, the Mariners lose 6-1 to to the Astros. And now it's a one-game uh, elimination because they lose one more game the rest of the season. They're not going to make the playoffs, and Houston's going to get that last spot. Uh, but Crawford, I think you can see that they've done some pretty good dealing right now, Jerry Depoto has, in getting good young players. You know, In recent years, they've had Gene Segura, Cattell Marte, Brad Miller at shortstop. But uh, you know, you certainly Crawford has a great speed. He's got range at shortstop, makes incredible plays, and can do all those things. And so this team, even though, again, he could be eliminated tonight and not make uh, the playoffs. Uh, still has done better than anybody think. I mean, did anybody think coming into this season that the Mariners were going to be, uh, you know, in their last four games still talking playoffs, thinking playoffs? I mean, the way to close this off right now is to go ahead and just try to, you know, get some uh, good things going uh, as far as just, uh, you know, playing well against the A's coming up this weekend, and of course uh, playing well against the Astros tonight. But last one, last night was a bad one bullpen didn't do well hitters didn't do well but uh, Crawford right now doing well at shortstop and giving a great hope for the future number three Stewart to Whitcomb who just checked into the game Sammy shoots a little bit too strong the follow by Clark good Alicia Clark gets the huge offensive rebound puts it back in so the Storm, on a buzzer beater, beat Minnesota Lynx 88-86. That's so that's the game one of the WNBA semifinals. And so a great call. But Alicia Clark getting the rebound and putting it back up in the last second. And so that was good. Now the game was delayed because they were still rating some COVID-19 testing results. Uh, so you waited it out. But, of course, you had to wait it out to the very last second to see who was going to win. But the Storm, who I look at right now, as you know, maybe one of the best sports teams we've seen in Seattle history because they are so good. I mean, they were so good at the beginning of the playoffs. They've done well in the bubble. They fought through some injuries and everything else. So now with the Storm leading one to nothing, they get to play on Thursday at 6:30 and see it. So go watch them because right now that's a great team to watch. Storm in the semifinals leading one to nothing. Number four. Um, I mean, they impact you a lot. I mean, there's a lot of uh, some. There's a number of players with um, some bad injuries, which always does some some key players with some bad injuries, which um, makes it always a little bit harder. Um, and I think the guys are real pumped about the win. I mean, it was huge to get that, and I, I think we played our asses off. I thought it was a real good game um, by the team. Um, but it's a little you got a little mixed emotions when you lose some guys like that. So it is. Uh, we, we got a good team. You know, we had a good team last year. We got a good team this year, and, and I just told the guys that you know there's. 
do have a good team, but there's also so many guys in our place that can get a lot better, um, coaches and players. And uh, when you do lose some good guys like we um, like we did, and that'll probably be for a while, um, we need guys to get better. And there's a number of guys who can improve on our team, and that's what we got to focus on doing. So we got the the San Francisco 49ers getting injury after injury. Now George Kittle was back on the field doing some limited work today, but they made they finally got the MRI machine down to uh, West Virginia and found out again as expected. Nick Bosa, Solomon Thomas have the ACL tears, so they're out for the season. You know they're down two running backs. Uh, Raheem Mozart, uh, Mozart was uh, he's got a. Uh, an MCL sprain, so he's going to be out two to four weeks. Tevin Coleman has a knee injury, so he they were putting him on injured reserve today. But as far as replacements, guess what? Uh, Ziggy Ansah uh, ended up signing along with uh, Dion Jordan, and so they're now at least going to be available. So all of a sudden, what was a defensive line with five former first-round picks that started the season, now they're down to pretty much a line that looks very similar to Seattle. The Theon Jordan there and Ziggy Ansah, uh, they're both on the team for last year. But uh, it's going to really affect the NFC West because how long these guys are going to be out. But that's just an obliteration of the defensive line because D. Ford has already been ruled out. Uh, Boza's down. Thomas is down. You know, they've got, you know, Jevin, King, uh, Jevin Kim, Kenlaw, uh, he's still uh, out there. But they also have to find out what they can do with, uh, you know, the remaining guys, uh, Eric Armstrong. But this team is just obliterated. They've had to put seven different wide receivers on uh, some kind of an opt-out or an injury list. You know, they don't have Debo Samuel. He's down. And then uh, Kittle missed the game on Sunday. Richard Sherman's on IR. I don't think I've seen a team as obliterated this as, as that this early. Yet the Jets were so bad that uh, San Francisco was able to win by 18 points. Go figure. Number five. You know, I've had the virus. Okay, I'm doing my best. I'm very sensitive about it, but I'm calling plays. Um, I just want to communicate in these situations, and uh, I apologize. And if I get fined, I I will have to pay the fine. But, um, you know, I'm very sensitive about uh, all of that, and, and I apologize. All right? Thanks, guys. All right, so John Gruden, Sean Payton, it added to the list of three other coaches, including Pete Carroll, who got caught not wearing face coverings on and so he ends up getting the fine. It's $100,000 he has to pay, $250,000 that the Raiders have to pay. And, uh, you know, yesterday he got an apology from Pete Carroll. He says you got to get got to get coached up sometimes, and now they got to coach that up. I know that Mike McCarthy, he ended up saying that, uh, you know, he's – going to keep the mask on and I can understand that he's a Pittsburgh guy I'm a Pittsburgh guy I don't think we want to be paying $100,000 for a violation like that we care about trying to keep our families uh, intact with money but uh, again kind of a silly rule we don't like the rule because I think it's just too excessive you know I think it's everybody who's not uh, playing is going to be one that has to do it. But, I mean, the coach is playing. He's got to communicate. He's got to yell at the officials. He's got to try to do all these different things. But that's a $100,000 fine. Weird story out of Los Angeles and the Chargers. Tyrod Taylor is going to have to go on injured reserve. You know, because, remember, right before the game, he couldn't breathe. And so what ended up happening, he got a, a, an injection. And then uh, now it turns out the lung was punctured. And so Justin Herbert looks like he's going to be the starter for the second straight game. Herbert didn't know until, like, 60 seconds 
seconds before the start of the game that he was going to be out there at quarterback. And sure enough, he was out there you know, battling even with Kansas City and Patrick Mahomes to a point that uh, you know the Chiefs had to win the game in overtime. But a very strange injuries. The Players Association, by the way, investigating that. They're also at the you know MetLife Stadium with the NFL officials looking at the turf to see why there's been three ACL tears for visiting teams in those first two games, or at least visiting teams to the stadium for the Giants and the Jets in the first two games. Hey, you can uh, check out the show on the uh, on the sports app and, of course, the 710 Sports app. It's powered by the Dubin Law Group. Oh, coming up next, we're going to go under further review and check out what's going on uh, on offense uh, with Russell Wilson and the shifting focus on, from the defense because we talked about that yesterday. We'll talk offense coming up under further review. John Clayton Show, 710 ESPN Seattle. Under Further Review with John Clayton. We'll review the play. Well, of course, uh, we talked a lot about the defense and I guess the concerns that are there, which are legitimate. But again, team has a great quarterback that kind of keeps everything honest, and that's Russell Wilson. And certainly the offense has changed in its style and all those stuff because what it does, it just allows Russell Wilson to get off to faster starts, more passes on first and second down, you know, more pass, not necessarily more passes, period, because it was real predictable what was going to happen. You know, we didn't know about week one, and we certainly didn't expect he was going to drop back 38 times and have only 20 running plays, but you can see why Atlanta had two young cornerbacks who were very beatable, although I think A.J. Terrell is going to be one that's going to be pretty good, but he's not there yet, and then naturally, uh, you've got more two tight end offenses that they're using, which I think is encouraging. There's also, uh, you know, DK Metcalf and uh, Tyler Lockett starting to emerge as one of the best wide receiver duos in football. But I know that, uh, you know, the evaluations coming around the league, uh, even though this week, Dak Prescott with this great comeback against the Atlanta Falcons, he got the deep offensive player of the week in the NFC. The week before, you got Russell Wilson getting it. And Russell Wilson right now, you know, if you're voting after two weeks, which is way too early, you're basically saying that Russell Wilson, you know, could be the uh, MVP because he's got the nine touchdowns. Touchdown passes, 84% completion percentage, nine yards per attempt, and all those different things. But I know that for ESPN, Keyshawn Johnson, looking at Pete Carroll and watching what's happening with the shifting focus to Russell Wilson. When you look at Russell Wilson, deliver five touchdown passes to five different receivers against the New England Patriots in a tough team in Cam Newton. If it wasn't for the last play of the game, Seattle loses that game without the 12th man. But they didn't. Russell Wilson willed them the victory. This team is about the quarterback now, no longer the Legion of Boom. Pete Carroll has shifted from defensive mind to offensive mind. This is the reason that they are right there, and they're going to be right there in the end to try and get to the Super Bowl in the NFC. Yeah, and I think Keyshawn raises a good point because, again, you know, quarterbacks right now, even more important because we're seeing the start of this season where you thought defense was going to be the key. Well, it turns out that offense right now is much in vogue because, uh, you know, 50.3 points combined score is the highest two-week period in NFL history, and that's where it is. I mean, teams are averaging 25.15 points a game, and then you have, you know, the Russell Wilson and Aaron, Do- Aaron Rodgers and all those guys even doing better and scoring more points. And so I think that's going to be one of the keys right now to see how that's going to go. And you would anticipate in a game where you have the first two-week uh, offensive player of the week, this one's going to be a high-scoring game with the Cowboys coming to town going against that. Defense is going to be challenged. And to make it over, Trudy Awuzie, uh the cornerback uh, on the other side of uh, Anthony Brown, he had to go on injured reserve today. So here's a Cowboy team coming in 
the, the two new cornerbacks because uh, both guys are on injured reserve. Anthony Brown went in with a practice injury last week. You know, Seattle, of course, they have the injuries with Bruce Irvin getting the uh, going on IR with the ACL tear. They lose Marquise Blair. But uh, overall, I think that, uh, you know, things are going well. But the big thing is Russell Wilson now seemingly how he can do on offense uh, against Dallas, you know, a team that looks good on paper. But if you're down, you're starting two cornerbacks. If you're down two linebackers, Sean Lee's on IR. Uh, Leighton Van Der Esch is on IR. Dexter Lawrence is on a limited basis right now uh, is a, is a, with a knee injury. He's going to try to practice, but he's not going to be able to practice today. But uh, as uh, Pete Carroll was saying, this is the best he's ever seen Russell Wilson. Yeah, this is Russell at his very best so far. And uh, um, the, I think what's really warranted in noticing is, is his sense of the protection. He knows he's getting protected. He knows he's got a chance. And Russ is just ripping the football. And, and uh, he has never thrown the ball with more authority. And, and, and I don't know that his arm's any better now. I just think his conviction is, is the clearest it's been. Uh, no, knowledge of the receivers, knowledge of the offense, knowing, knowing what the reads are. Um, from man and zones and all of the things that he's got to go through, he is on it. And, of course, you can see he's on it because, again, I mean, that first week, 88.3 completion percentage in the in week one, which was the, tied the third best ever for any quarterback in NFL history who threw more than 30 passes. So that looks encouraging. You know, Russell Wilson was talking about it because, you know, he's been kind of helping on the let the Russ Cook idea. And so uh, what does uh, let Russ Cook mean to him? You know, to me, you know, I come to play this game to be the best in the world. You know, that's just the bottom line. I don't, I don't wake up to be try to be anything different. You know, so for me, um, I've always had those talks. You know, ever since I got here, really, to be honest with you, and I think it's just been a steady process. But I think right now, you know, going into year nine, you know, I'm I'm trying to break away. You know what I mean? I don't want to be the best in the world to ever do this. I got a lot of great players ahead of me. You know, I think about guys like uh, Peyton Manning. I think about guys like you know Tom Brady and Drew Brees and. You know, all guys I've gotten to be cl- pretty close to, to be honest with you. And, you know, you got guys like Joe Montana. And, you know, I, I want to be remembered. I want to be remembered. Well, there's no doubt he's going to be remembered. And if he can get to one more Super Bowl, uh, I remember I said this about Kurt Warner. I remember I said this about couple other players, Ben Roethlisberger. I mean, he's now going to be Hall of Fame credentials. And this year, if he continues going as it is, you know, he's definitely going to be the leading candidate for the MVP. Eric Mangini, the former Jets coach who's now doing some TV stuff, is looking at Russell Wilson a little bit differently. Formula that's that's going to carry him through the course of the season, I think, is the wrong approach. If, if you just oh, go no. into it and think, hey, look, last year... They ran the ball, and they ran the ball consistently, and that helped Russell Wilson do a ton of great things. <laughs> Two years. And now, if you if you just want to throw it all over the place, you know it it will it'll work, you know, against against some teams, and then you're going to get smacked by other teams. I I don't think it's a function of letting him cook. I think it's a function of of doing whatever you need to do to 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 push the things forward offensively. And and not go to extremes one way or the other. What, no, we want what, extremes, Nick? Coach. In this instance, we want extremes. Well, and I, I don't know if you see any extremes. You saw it certainly in the opener, but that was taking advantage of a bad 
uh, Atlanta Falcons defense, and that's what they ended up doing. Well, now you come back and you know you take a, you take away uh, a, a Patriot team, a Patriot team right now that's one of the best coverage teams in football with three uh, great man-to-man cover guys, and you know he ended up uh, you know throwing it 28 times or 28 uh, pass attempts and 30 rushing plays, and so you vary it every week. And this week you'd have to think there's a decent chance that they're going to try to pass the ball a little bit more. I think the Cowboys like the Seahawks only have two sacks, and Dexter Lawrence is you know pretty well banged up with that knee two new cornerbacks but I think week to week you have more variety and so we'll see how that goes but overall uh, it couldn't be a better start for Russell Wilson we'll see how the defense starts to catch up but uh, hey they're letting Russ cook and right now he's cooking some pretty good meals hey tell your smart speaker to play 710 ESPN Seattle remember you can always listen to 710 on your smart speaker or app coming up next we are going to talk to Orlando Skandrick former Dallas Cowboy cornerback we'll have to see if they're going to call him to see because you're down two cornerbacks right now on injured reserve, but it's the John Clayton Show, 710 ESPN Seattle. It's John Clayton. Powered through the Alaska Airline Studio. Two hours every day, 10 to noon. Streaming live at 710sports.com. On demand on the 710 Seattle Sports app. You know, I was always a little bit worried that Orlando Skandrick might not have been able to call in. Not because, I mean, he's one of the most reliable people that you know, so I know he would have. But I was worried because when I find out that Chidi Awoozy, uh, the cornerback uh, of the Cowboys, ended up uh, going on injured reserve to go with Anthony Brown who over the weekend went on injury reserve. I was wondering if they're going to give Orlando, the former Boise State cornerback, a call to see, hey, you want to come back to the Cowboys? So, Orlando, I'm pleased that you were able to do that because I was worried that maybe you weren't going to be able to make the show because you're going to be in a uniform getting ready for practice. No way. <laughs> not even, not even. Thanks for having me on, though. Hey, by the way, you can, be, you can follow him at Believe, B-L-E-A-V podcast. That's at Believe podcast so what's your thoughts about this it's like okay we saw the san francisco 49ers win by 18 points despite one of the worst injury two-week period we've ever seen in the nfl cowboys aren't too far behind because they're down two cornerbacks on ir two linebacker two linebackers they've got uh Dexter Lawrence right now on the side with a knee injury. I mean, he he's expected to play, but they can't say for sure. Then you got the two tackles. They're out, and we'll see if one's able to come back in Tyron Smith. How banged up is this team, and how's it affecting their performance? They're very banged up. They're going to be thin at that cornerback position this week um, with Russell Wilson coming into his hometown, and ooh, they got, their, they got their, their hands full. And as far as their tackles, they're really, really thin at tackle, and you've seen that last week. The Falcons were able to get some really, really early pressure on Dak Prescott, and, you know, they're going to have their work cut out for them this week if they plan to keep it competitive and even win against the Seahawks. Well, and you can see there's a formula developing right now that can be dangerous to the uh, to the Cowboys uh, and because, I mean, you saw it in Minnesota. They lose their top three cornerbacks and have to put in three young cornerbacks, and right now they're off to a horrible 0-2 start where they can't, they can't do anything to anybody. And then you saw in Atlanta, in that Dallas game, that uh, they have, I mean, I don't know how they actually stay with Isaiah Olivier because he gave us 62.5% of his completions against him last year. He was a 2018 draft choice. And then, of course, they uh, are breaking in A.J. Terrell, who I think is going to be pretty good, but he's not there yet. And so it's like now technically I guess you can say that with, uh, you know, uh, the, the Cowboys with last year's loss of their cornerback and free agency, they're down their top three cornerbacks from last year. Yeah, they are. Um 
they got a rookie that they really, really have high hopes for, and you know they're liking what they see out of him. But if you really, essentially, you're down to what you assume to be the rookie was going to be your fourth quarterback, and you're assumed to, you're you're kind of down to your fourth and your fifth cornerback starting outside. And that's a recipe for disaster so far since the start of the National Football League because this year, with no offseason program, you know, no preseason games, you know, scoring is at an all-time high for the first two weeks, 25.15 points a game. And uh, you know, running is going well. The quarterbacks are doing well. Passing is doing well. I mean, right now, it's even more of an offensive league. And if you've got problems at cornerback, you can be in a lot of trouble. Yeah, it's going to be tough this week. I look to see a lot of points scored. I look for the Cowboys to score a lot of points also because Seattle's defense has been historically good, but of late they've been a little shaky, and I don't know if it's because of the training camp and the lack of tackling, the lack of um, fundamental drills, the lack of time being together, but both teams' defenses have been a little shaky. This is going to come down to whichever team makes more plays in the end. Yeah, because, I mean, the good part for the Cowboys is here they were able to come back with, or, you know, Dak Prescott getting the uh, Offensive Player of the Week in the NFC, coming down from a 19-point deficit, 29-10, to and winning the game 40-39, to and getting the touchdown passes that he threw. They've got a great three-receiver set, and right now Seattle's still struggling to get the pass rush going. But, uh, you know, what you wonder about now, uh, if they have to go in with two two un, very unknown tackles who are both undrafted, that could at least give Seattle a chance to maybe get to Dak. Yeah, I look for Seattle to try to find ways to manufacture pressure. They've, they've still got two very good interior defense linemen. They've got a guy, Benson Moea, a guy who I played with in Dallas. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, this is going to be one of his first or second time playing against his old team, and I think he's going to be licking his chops with something to prove. Yeah, no doubt, and he's looking good at the Leo position. The only thing is, because of injuries, uh, Bruce Irvin, of course, getting his injury on the ACL tear, and Daryl Taylor, a second-round pick, you know, being on uh, NFI, you know, he had to be out there for 65 plays. Now they're going to get their fifth-round pick, Alton Robinson, off the uh, inactive list and get him there, and they should have Rasheen Green, you know, at the five technique. But uh, yeah, Benson, Benson's looked good, and he's looked good since the beginning of camp. He's a good player. He is. He was a good player when he was in Dallas. He had a couple of knee issues, but he was a good player when he was there. Um, he was actually one of my favorite teammates, another guy that's from California, too, and I'm looking forward to seeing him this weekend. Yeah, no no doubt about it. And so that that's encouraging, but I'm kind of surprised right now with the Cowboys. Now, and maybe not the secondary, because, again, the injuries certainly play it in linebacker and that, but where's their pass rush been? Because that was such a big emphasis in trying to get their pass rush, and I think he had two games into the season, they have two sacks. I just don't think that they're comfortable with the new scheme. I think that they're working through some things. I think that some players are trying to get comfortable and playing some positions and doing some things that they haven't been asked to do in their career. What's what's different in the new scheme? What are they doing? Are they doing a little bit more hybrid? I think I think they are. I think they're they're rushing from more two point stands. They're more two gapping, and these guys are used to being four three defensive ends with their hands in the dirt and four three interior linemen, one gap guys just getting up the field. I think. This three-four two-gap scheme has been harder than they anticipated, especially with not having any training camp, not having any OTAs. How's uh, how's Mike Nolan being reviewed so far as the defensive coordinator? I don't think that he's getting rave reviews. I think that you know you got all these pass rushers, you got Alden Smith, a guy who's had some great numbers before he 
missed some time due to his personal issues. You got Everson Griffin, the guy who's been productive for a decade, and you got Demarcus Lawrence, one of the highest played pass rushers in the NFL. And between those three guys, you've only been able to manufacture two sacks in two games. And you raise a good point because, I mean, what they ended up doing is in free agency going out and getting, you know, two-gap type of players. Uh, one didn't work out, but certainly they got Don Terry Poe. And, you know, that, that and they, they know what to do. But, again, getting everybody on the same page is not the easiest thing in the world. And we're seeing this league-wide on defenses. Yeah, it's been tough. Um, the the fundamentals that you get from the teaching sessions and the off-season program and the OTAs and that it's just just hasn't been there because of the circumstances of the world and here you are saying these first two weeks of the season which is really really like the first two weeks of preseason but they're real games so um you you would like to think that they would adapt and you'd like to think that coach Nolan will find some things that those guys do well so they can manufacture some pressure and allow those guys to be productive but I guess what we'll just have to wait and see well, you're talking old school because I can't remember now too many teams that are using three four two gaps because right now it's maybe uh, you know there's been more of a trend in the three four to go kind of like Wade Phillips and it's like hey the only difference is you, you you're still one gapping uh, on the defensive tackle and you just, the only difference is is okay you move between you know having a defensive end with his hand on the ground or sitting back at linebacker but yeah the two gap thing is you know I don't say it's outdated but you don't see it as much. Yeah, I mean, but I think Mike Nolan has had success with it. He has success um, several places with it, and I, I I think he likes it. And I don't I don't think it's a bad thing. I just think for guys that haven't done it before and not having any OTAs and not having any really teaching sessions and having a kind of a a compacted size training camp, you're seeing the growing pains. Orlando, where would you put the three receivers set that they have among the best in football? Because everybody knew once C.D. Lamb came to them, which was you know one of the best gifts you could ever have, uh, and Jerry wasted no time in making sure that Lamb was going to be their first round pick. Is that uh, you know Amari Cooper <clears throat> really wasn't as appreciated in Oakland now Las Vegas as much as he should, and he's done well. And they they've got good three receiver sets. They do. They have, they have a really good top three receivers, but the problem is this team was built to be a running team, a play-action team, and you have all these shiny weapons outside, and you're trying to manage how you use them all, use Zeke, and still be a productive team. They're going to have to figure out a way to not turn the ball over and not fall down by double-digit leads if they want to win games. You're not going to win very many games falling down by 20 points. No, that's for sure. I mean, that's so rare to be able to do that. Uh, but, uh, you know, D- Dak Prescott, where do you stand on him as a quarterback? Where would you put him in the hierarchy in this league? Phenomenal leader, phenomenal quarterback, continuing to get better week after week. A guy that shows resilience, a guy that shows that, you know, nothing nothing can break his spirits. He doesn't waver. Um, just a, Just a leader, true captain. No, no, because I, I mean, you were you were there when they made the the transition with Tony Romo coming out here, getting injured in the preseason, and Dak got through, won over the team, and you know was able to be the starting quarterback from the very beginning. Yes, he, yes, he did. He's never relinquished the job. He's never wavered. He's continued to get better. Really, really humble kid. Super happy for him. 
Um, couldn't think of a better person to lead the Dallas Cowboys. Yeah, and of course he's he's very much I think almost into preparation and the way he handles himself very much like Russell Wilson. That's the things that I noticed when the times I would be down in Dallas, particularly from his rookie year on. He just seemed to have the same work ethic, the same level head, and also uh, you know very positive guy, just like Russell Wilson. Absolutely, sky's the limit for him. Um, look forward to seeing his quarterback battle this weekend. Okay, so tell me more about uh, where everybody can get the Believe podcast, and it's B L E A V. So podcast, where can everybody get that? Um, you can uh, download it, the app uh, on the Believe Network. Okay, and of course, what day is it? Every day, or is it going to be uh, one certain day that you can start to get it each week? Um, twice a week. Once you download the app, it will give you notifications of when the new edition, when the new podcast is up for the week. Hey, Orlando Skandrick, great stuff. The, the great talk, getting into two gap and everything else. And thanks for joining us. Thank you, Pat. Okay. Hey, we're going to, of course, uh, come back and go behind the lines and catch you up on what's going on in the National Football League. But be sure to check out the Professor's Notes on 710sports.com. The Professor's Notes are brought to you by Infinity of Tacoma at Fife. Coming up next, behind the lines. John Clayton. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. On demand with the 710 Seattle Sports app. Well, we anticipated that injuries were going to be a big factor early in the season because you go back to 2011 when there was no off-season program. You had a 44% increase in hamstring injuries. You had a double amount of the Achilles tears, and there was more than 50 ACL tears. And so when you start to ramp up, because it's one of the things I chart all the time, is when you go into the OTAs, you're going to have four or five ACLs and or Achilles. Then you start the next move into the mini camp, and there's going to be four or five of them. And then you start training camp, and there's going to be even more. And so now you can see in the first two weeks there's been uh, seven uh, – well, there's been eight total because Blake Jarwin of San Francisco or the Dallas, the tight end, he ended up getting an ACL tear. So there's been eight so far, but seven this past week and week two. Then you go back and there's about like three Achilles tears. But now two things that are different. And of course, uh, boy, Howdy's going to be with us here to kind of react. And it's like, OK, first you have the situation in MetLife Stadium, you know, the Jets and the Giants home, and Zach Banner ends up getting an ACL tear. San Francisco, they lose two first-round defensive linemen, Nick Boza and Solomon Thomas, to ACL tears, and they were saying that things were grabbing. Uh, now Jimmy Garoppolo, he had the high ankle sprain, so they were, they were thinking that the turf is grabbing as far as the legs. You know, now Garoppolo, they say, probably is not going to play this week. You know, it's a high ankle sprain, and normally they're four to six weeks, so maybe it's going to be shorter for him, but all those injuries, leg injuries suffered there in MetLife, it's now to the point where the Players Association complained, and they have both Players Association people and league people looking at the new turf that they have in MetLife Stadium. And then the other one we'll get into in a second is what the crazy story with uh, Tyrod Taylor. But, uh, yeah, it's like it's you know it's bad for injuries, but could the stadium and the turf cause more problems and be an issue? You know, that's interesting, John, because this isn't a new phenomenon in the NFL, is it? No. There have been a lot of stadiums and a lot of different turfs, whether it's Soldier Field, San Francisco, 49ers Field, Washington's Field. There have been a lot of fields that have come under scrutiny with how that turf actually plays out once you get some real churn on it. Now, with some of these synthetic fields, that presents some different challenges. And I don't know if there's a measure of needing to be broken in that some of these synthetic fields have, but it's a serious issue, John. If they're, if they're having field turfs and, and grass that are causing injuries for players – on top of the fact that these guys haven't had the same kind of conditioning that they would normally have in an NFL season, 
that's a recipe for setting bad teams in a bad spot, or good teams in a bad spot, excuse me, who should be playing at the best of their abilities and putting out a good product for the league. Yeah, no doubt, and that's, I think, uh, a big issue right now, and they got to do it. And, of course, I don't know where do you want to put the story, uh, which is just really bizarre, about uh, uh, Tyrod Taylor. Because here's Tyrod Taylor, about six, seven seconds before the game was supposed to start, <clears throat> coming over and he had trouble breathing. And so they took Justin Herbert, sent him on the field, and it turned out that a rib injury that was kind of bothering him on Friday, he took an injection for, and then one, he had a bad reaction to the injection and had to go to the hospital, and now we find out the team doctor punctured his lung. Yeah, this is crazy, John. I don't know enough about this specific procedure, but you've been around for so much longer than any of us have. How often have you heard of, uh, you know, doctors piercing the lungs of players? Uh, I haven't. I mean, that's like that's kind of a new one for me. And, you know, you'd have to think there's going to be, of course, the Players Association is checking into that one, too, uh, as they should, because, I mean, that's just a serious injury. And, you know, I don't know if he's going to be able to get his starting job back. I mean, the one thing is, you know, the way contracts are in the National Football League because of the, the union and all that, you can't sue. So but, you know, his career could take a turn because now, you know, he they want him to be the starter they're going to continue him to be the starter but now i mean he's going to be out for some times and if justin herbert did as well as he did in the game last week against kansas city taking it into overtime against patrick mahomes wow that that part is a little bit you know i don't know enough about how this procedure is done to know what the real risk is involved like is this a somewhat common thing that happens when people do this in general the history of them doing it in the nfl these shots um it, it seems to show that it's super unlikely that this could happen. So I don't know if there was any malpractice that was going on to have Tyrod Taylor's lung get punctured, but you're right. The, the actual ramifications of what happened here could be awful for Tyrod Taylor. And a guy who was getting his one shot, he had this sort of season to let the NFL know who he was, maybe his John Kitten a moment to say, you know what, everyone thinks that I'm something that's maybe less than a starting quarterback in this league, but I'm here to prove in this one year that I've got it. And he could have been that. He could have been Alex Smith. He could have been one of those players that really shows that he's more than what people think. And it would be a shame if this one needle ends up being the thing that prevents him from getting that done. Yeah, it really would be because, again, he's he's such a good player and a, a guy that uh, you, you like. And I know the coach likes him a lot, but this one was just uh, bizarre in how it goes. What's your thoughts on the Dallas game coming up? Because the Cowboys come in and you know they're not as injured as the San Francisco 49ers. But it's pretty close. Yeah, these two teams end up playing some good games, don't they? Yeah. <laughs> it's something about it. I think that I think that Dak Prescott does like that element of being able to match up with Russell Wilson and be mentioned in that same category and a chance to prove that he can supplant Russell. Uh, I just think that the Hawks are in such a good spot offensively, John. They... I view them as kind of like a starting pitcher, right? Traditionally with a starting pitcher, you you become an ace when you have like three elite pitches. And for the longest time, the Seahawks didn't really have that elite passing pitch. They just couldn't throw it whenever they wanted to. It was good. It was 100 miles an hour, but they didn't always know where it was going to go. If they opened up the offense and threw it like crazy, there was no telling whether it was going to be successful or not. What they've been able to do through two games is remarkable. They have shown that their passing offense can truly be an elite pitch in their arsenal, and if it's going to stay that way this whole season, John, I think they're one of the two best offenses in the league with enough talent to really sustain that moving forward. So I, f- I feel really good about the Hawks. Yeah, and I th- the thing that I think is very interesting is that uh, you know they, they'll mix it up each week because you know, people thought maybe it was too excessive, not to let Russ 
Cook fans uh, because they like the fact that he threw 30, he dropped back 38 times and ran only 20. But here, you know, they did get the 30 runs. They did get the uh, 154 yards rushing, and they threw more passes than they uh, they threw more runs than they did passes, which I think is the wise thing to do. Yeah, and you know what? Uh, Mangini, I think it was, or whoever. Yeah, Eric Mangini, who made his comments. We uh, talked about this last segment. I think he gets a little bit of a bad rap because it sounds a little uninformed, but I think he's kind of right. You know, to be able to have it in your arsenal to say, today, I need to run more than pass and still have your offense be that effective is what's going to make the Seahawks offense so difficult this year. And the fact that they can do that, they can split it 50-50, they can go run heavy, they can go pass heavy, and feel confident they've got the right offensive approach is going to be so key for the Hawks to win the season. One thing I like about the game, the way it is right now, <clears throat> is that uh, they're not calling many penalties. In yes. week one, there was like 11, uh, an average of 11 uh, penalties per game, and it was like 12 this past week. So what but, do you think that is, John? Because I've got a theory, but what do you think it is? I think what it is is that uh, you know they realize you have uh, you know crews that have now been thrown together because of the pandemic. You, know, you have the referee, but he doesn't have the crew that he had last year because they're trying to more regionalize it because of you know the covid and all the problems that come out there and so i think and you know basically it came down pretty strong from Walt Anderson who's now you know, kind of running things in New York and the uh, officiating is like hey only call the obvious ones. Let's not get too heavy because normally in the first two weeks, you get a ridiculous amount of penalties. And I think that the 169 that we called in the first two weeks, you know, basically uh, is, it was as lo- one of the lowest in many, many years. And I think it's good because let the players play because when you let the players play and you don't have the penalties, because now I chart this because that's one of the things I keep track of is that uh, any official – uh, if he calls a lot of penalties, particularly holding penalties, you know, the scores are going to be lower. Well, with the fewer calls on holding, uh, now you've got scores at, you know, 50, at 25 point, 15 points a game. That's great analysis, John, and I love that. And I also love watching less penalty football. I think yeah, again, what you want to hey, listen it's like you want to. It's not like you know baseball where sometimes the umpire and the officials get a little bit too too much of themselves. Yeah. It's like, and I I really respect the job that the officials do in the National Football League. But uh, you know what what you like is that you don't want to see the officials throw flags. You want to see football played. And at least in the first two weeks, we saw football being played. Yes. One guy they're going to get a chance to catch up with is we do every Wednesdays. Wednesdays with Wyman, Dave Wyman. We'll get into that next. It's the John Clayton Show, 710 ESPN Seattle.